Romans still. We're going to read here starting verse 3 down to 8. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. This is God's word. You may be seated. I wonder how long we could stay silent. Someone just said, I have to say something. Good morning. My name is Luke, and as Josh said, I look fantastic today. Um, I did have someone once tell me that I looked like a before picture, and I wasn't really sure how to take that other than to be offended. Um, but now it actually has really come to pass, and so, um, so here we are. Um, it, it's exciting to be able to dig into God's Word uh, for us today, and to really, um, what we're going to do over the next eight weeks is really slow down in this book of uh, Romans in chapter 12. And you go, man, how much slower can we go? Well, we're going to go even uh, slower. And uh, really, the next eight weeks creates kind of a, a mini series within Romans 12 on love. On love. We, we say this a lot, I, I say this a lot from the front, that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's selfishness. The opposite of love isn't hate. It's selfishness. And there is nothing more countercultural, if you want to think back to what we looked at last week, where the scripture told us that as we sacrifice ourselves to God by not being conformed to the pattern of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind, there is nothing counter to conforming to the world more than love. Love, thinking about one another, getting your eye off of yourself and on to other people, stopping the navel gazing, the selfishness. The, the self-orientation, and instead looking out to the needs of others. The opposite of love isn't hate, it's selfishness. And this kind of, uh, this kind of love, this kind of other's focus, really is a supernatural thing. It's, it's what happens when God's Spirit fills you in such a way where you see how loved you've been by others, and now you're able to love other people as well. We had a great time uh, with our staff this week as we were sort of thinking through and praying through uh, some plans that we have for the coming year and some things like that. And in one of our prayer times, one of our pastors uh, said, said this in his prayer. He said, the only easy love is of myself. He's saying, God, help me to love others because the only easy love is of myself. That's true, isn't it? I mean, no one has to wake up really and think, how do I, how do I love myself? Even the people who think, I need to love myself more, really are just so preoccupied with themselves that they already love themselves a lot. And so the, the question that we're going to try to push into, into this kind of next eight-week chunk is how can we, in a way that, that counters the normal flow of how we live in a supernaturally mind-renewing way, how can we love other people? So here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at, in this chunk of, of verses 3 through 8, we're going to look at the mindset of love and the mandate of love. The mindset of love and the mandate of love. Uh, since this is such a supernatural thing that we need help with, let's take a moment and let's pray. 
Father in heaven, I, I thank you that you have loved us. And God, you love us so much that your word tells us that God is love, that you are love. And at the heart of everything you have done for us, even uh, the areas you've allowed into our lives that have hurt, God, even in there, we, we know that you're a good father who loves his children. So God, help us in this time to see your love and to be able to to think in a new way and to live in a new way that really helps us to love other people. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first, the mindset of love. Here's the mindset of love is think soberly, you're one part of a body. Think soberly, you're one part of a body. Look down at verse 3. The Apostle Paul here, after uh, kind of the banner verses of not being conformed to the world, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, he gets into a a number of different uh, issues, and and it starts with this idea that that we should not think too highly of ourselves. We're just one part of a body. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Think soberly, right? So, so this is very clear. I love when the Bible sort of does this. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Do think of yourself with sober judgment. And I love the word sober judgment there. It, it, it really, it's a very vivid word. If you think just about sobriety and what it is to be sober, right? This, this word means a sensible, sound, sane, it's, it's, uh, it's seeing things as they actually are, right? Without being uh, influenced or having your vision or your, your thoughts distorted by some outside influence, right? That's what it is to be intoxicated. I know none of us have ever been intoxicated in this room, but for the... That's a joke, right? I assume that that has happened, and maybe even has happened very recently. And if that happens to you, if you have become intoxicated by alcohol or drugs or medication or anything else, you know how it has the power to distort the way you think. Things that are funny, or really aren't that funny, you think are funny. Uh, things that normally wouldn't make you that angry, you get really angry about. Uh, people that you normally wouldn't think are attractive suddenly become gorgeous. Right? All these things happen when you're intoxicated, that's not thinking straight. And so Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you should, but think of yourself with sober judgment. It means knowing yourself. Do you know yourself? Do you know your strengths? Do you know your weaknesses? Do you know your temptations? Do you know your struggles? Do you know the areas where you're strong? Do you know that stuff? We should. And to think with sober judgment means being willing to just acknowledge those things about ourselves. I love Andy Stanley's book on leadership, Next Generation Leader, and in that book, he has this quote where he talks about acknowledging weakness, and here's what he says. He says, acknowledging weakness doesn't make a leader less effective. On the contrary, in most cases, it is simply a way of expressing that he understands what everyone else has known for some time. When you acknowledge your weaknesses to the rest of your team, it is never new information. Okay? Now, Andy Stanley there's talking in the context of leadership, but this is true in the context of family. This is true in context of colleagues, people you work with. If someone at work comes to you and goes, you know what, I'm just not real detail-oriented, you're like, I know. <laughs> right? If one of your kids is like, you know, I just don't, I struggle with wanting to do my homework, you're like, 
That is not new information to me, right? I know that, right? Everyone around you can see you, and everyone around you knows what you're good at and what you're not good at and, and, and what your flinches are. And, and everyone around you, the people that really know you, right, they don't have you on a pedestal, right? For people in some sort of public eye, one of the frustrations is they can be on a pedestal, but the people who know them, they don't believe the hype on that. They know them as they really are. And so this passage is saying, think of yourself soberly, clear-minded, without the intoxication of, of your own delusions of how you think you are. This is why community is so important. This is why one of the things we encourage everyone to be part of in our church is to be part of a vibrant biblical community of people who know you and you know them and they know your strengths and they know your weaknesses and they know kind of the, the, the bents that you have and they can help you come alongside those things. One of the most profitable things we do as a, as a staff with our, with our pastors and, and the guys that lead ministry is uh, once, sometimes twice a year, we'll go out to lunch, and we'll go around uh, the table as we have lunch, and we'll ask every guy to share his strengths and his weaknesses, and then the rest of us will take a, a moment and, and add to his list. You go, gosh, that doesn't sound very fun. It's actually tremendous. Because a lot of times, a guy, something that a guy says is a strength, he's like, yeah, this is kind of a strength. And the rest of us go, man, you have no idea. That is, a huge, that is such a bigger strength than you realize. And sometimes a guy downplays his weakness. And we go, you know what, that really is a bigger weakness than you think. And other times we go, you know, here's a blind spot that you didn't see. But most of the time, through the process of doing that now for a number of years, we know ourselves well. And when a guy is going to try to start something or do something that we all kind of know, man, I don't know if that's really in your wheelhouse, we can now have that conversation, and we all think soberly about it. It's a really helpful thing. Now, it takes a high level of trust. It takes a high level of vulnerability. It's scary. If you don't believe me, go ahead and try it after church at lunch with your family today. All right, let's go around. Let's talk about our strengths and our weaknesses. I've, I've asked my girls this about me, and it's very insightful. And it helps me to know myself well, to think of myself soberly. But notice, he says uh, in verse 3, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So think of yourself with sober judgment according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Okay, what does that mean? You know, at first glance, that sort of sounds like it's saying, think of yourself soberly because everyone has gotten a different measure of faith. And if you've gotten a lot, then think of yourself in those terms. And if you've had just a little, think of yourself that way. But that's not actually what this is saying. Uh, the word measure here is the Greek word metron. It, it means measurement or a ruler. So it, it, what he's saying is here, think with sober judgment according to the measurement of faith, according to the rule of faith according to that specifically defined measurement of faith that God has assigned. Okay, well, what's that? Well, the standard of faith, the measurement of faith, the rule of faith is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that has been given equally to all of us, which is why Paul can say, don't think of yourself more highly than you should because it, it took the same amount of Jesus to die for you as it took for everyone else, right? If we could go around the room and just sort of start here and go, how much of Jesus' sacrifice did it take to save you? Answer? All of it. All right, next. What about you? All of it. All of it. All of it. All of it. That's why if you're here and you think, well, I don't know that God could ever forgive me. I don't know that God, I mean, I've done so much. Listen, Jesus gave all there was to give on the cross. 
to bring you to himself. He can't give more, right? And for the people that have sinned a little and the people have sinned a lot, he's sufficient to cover all of it. And, and, and when we see ourselves in that way and we realize, oh, it took Jesus Christ everything to die for me. The only thing I bring to my relationship with God is my sin. When we realize that, then we can think of ourselves with sober judgment. We can think of ourselves clearly. We don't think of ourselves as higher than we should because we go, you know what? In the sight of God, apart from Jesus, I am lost. And so instead, we see ourselves soberly. But there's also a caution in this passage to not just avoid thinking of yourself too highly, but also to avoid thinking of yourself too lowly. And that's what Paul gets up really in the next section with a very interesting word picture that really brings out the reality that in Christ there is both unity, we're all the same, we're all equal at the foot of the cross, but there's also diversity, we're we're all a little bit different. So look at verse 4. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of of one another. Now, when I'm preaching, I'm always trying to think of illustrations. I'm always trying to think of word pictures that sort of communicate the truth. I love when the Scripture just does it for you. Right? What's the word picture here? The word picture that, that Paul gives here is he says the people of God, the community of faith, the church, is like a body. Do you see that in verse 4? For as in one body we have many members, that word means parts, there's many parts of the body, And the members, the parts, don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another, members of one another. Now, he fleshes this idea out. This is a huge metaphor for the Apostle Paul. He he talks about it in Ephesians 4. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12. He mentions it here. We are one body with many parts. That's the picture. The people of God together are the hands and feet, the body of Christ to the world and to one another, right? Doesn't it amaze you how Jesus just took off and left his spirit behind, and here we are, right? And he kind of goes at the end of it, uh, before he ascends, if you read Matthew 28 and Acts 1, you sort of see that Jesus essentially says, okay, everybody, you're plan A, and there's no plan B. This is all there is, and you are going to be my body, You're going to be my hands. You're going to be my feet. You're going to be my head. You're going to be my brain. You're going to be my legs and my arms. And you're going to to touch the world around you for me. It's an incredible picture because, think about this, think about the body. It's like the church because the church is made up of many different people, right? Just like your body is made up of many different parts. In the church, each person doesn't have the same function, just like in your body. The same, each part of your body doesn't have the same function, right? Your toes don't have the same function as your esophagus. And your nose doesn't have the same function as your ears, and, and these all have different functions. And yet, think about this. In the church, just like in the body, each part is absolutely dependent on the others. Right? Paul says in another place, in 1 Corinthians 12, you know, the, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Right? We, we don't want to have the body of Christ limping around. We want the body of Christ to be strong, which means every part matters. Every part is important. Every part plays a key role. And I think this is really interesting, especially how, do you notice in verse 5, 
I would expect him to say, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of Christ. That's what I'd expect him to say. But that's not what he says. Do you see what he says? He says, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Members of one another. Right? The, the hand doesn't just belong to Christ. It belongs to the foot. It's all connected. It's all part of the same body. It all matters, right? And so this is what's so interesting to me is how Paul assumes that people in a local church see themselves as members of one another, as committed to each other as one part of the body would be to another. Paul does not see, and the New Testament does not see, that the church is a place where people come and just sort of watch or just sort of observe or just consume the, the, the Scripture does not assume, Paul does not assume here, that, that the people in the church just sort of uh, take what they like and, and don't see themselves as really committed to each other. He doesn't see that at all. No. If we're one body in Christ with many members, then we are members of one another. Now, listen, this is why at our church and at many other churches, we have a process called church membership. Church membership. And the reason, a lot of people go, well, there's no command for, the, for church membership in the New Testament. That's absolutely right. But here's the thing. In the New Testament, there weren't hundreds of churches around town that you could just sort of bop to whenever you wanted. There was one church, a few churches, in a very local area. You didn't have a car. You couldn't drive across town to go there. Oftentimes, that community was persecuted. The very fact of geography and persecution made it where people inherently were more inclined to go, this is my church. I don't have another choice. I don't have another option. I'm members of this body. Well, in our world, it's not like that, right? You can drive, you can drive 30, 45, and you might drive an hour to come to church to be part of that. We also don't face the persecution, and so we can go from one church to another, which is why, though it's not commanded in the Scripture, as elders, we felt like this is a very wise process to have a membership process where people learn what we're about as a church, where they learn about how we do ministry, and then they commit to say, I'm going to be part of this body. I'm going to play a part in this particular place. And again, this is not to control this is not to dictate. This is not to be heavy-handed. It's to try to live out the assumption that Paul is making here that we are all part of an important body together, okay? So that's why we do church membership. And in fact, we have a church membership class that's coming. Um, it's coming in a few weeks. Uh, you can sign up for that uh, online if you go to redemptionaz.com. We would love for you to just learn more. Coming to the class doesn't uh, make you commit to anything, but it helps you kind of take a next step to find out, okay, is this a place that I really want to lay down some roots and be part of uh, the body of Christ that's happening here? The idea here is that each person plays a role, and each person's role is important. And so I wanted to give you just a little bit of a visual picture of what this would look like. And so I found this uh, video uh, by Walk Off the Earth. They're covering a song. Maybe you've seen this video. And uh, so uh, go ahead and take a look. I think this is a picture of each part depending on the other.
said you felt so happy you could die Told myself that you were right for me But felt so lonely in your company But that was love and it's an ache I still remember Do you love, don't you love the guy in the end who just, his job's just to hold it? Right? Because everyone's hands are busy. Someone's got to hold this guitar. It's going to fall down, right? And then occasionally he goes, you know? But I love that picture. And, and, and that's just such a picture of how together we can make more sound than any one person could make on their own. Right? You put one person with a guitar, they can't make all those sounds. They can't do all those things. But you put five people, each playing a unique and different and important and harmonious role, it's powerful. You know that video has been viewed over 159 million times on YouTube? Because there's something about that when we see people working in synergy together that's like, wow, that's incredible. I've never seen anything like that. And that's the opportunity that we have as the body of Christ, as the people of God. If we don't think of ourselves too highly, we remember we're equal at the foot of the cross, but we also don't think of ourselves too lowly. We go, I have a role to play. I matter here. I I have something to contribute, whether it's holding a guitar or strumming or knocking. I have something to do in the body of Christ. And even though we're united as the body of Christ, we're different people. We have different strengths. We have different weaknesses. We have different passions. We have different experiences. We can leverage those things for the body of Christ. And so we have to think of ourselves soberly. Think clearly. I'm not that important, but I am part of a body that needs me. That's the mindset of love. Rather than just thinking about yourself, the mindset of love says, I'm needed here, and I'm going to humbly use my gifts to serve others. And that's where Paul continues next, with the mandate of love. So the mindset of love, and then secondly, the mandate of love. The mandate of love is this. Use your gifts. Use them. You've been given gifts. You're part of a body. Be that part. Be an active, be a vibrant part of the body. And so here's what he says in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Now it's interesting, the word grace is the Greek word charis. And the uh, Greek word for gifts is charisma. So these are literally gifts of grace. These are gifts of the gift or graces of grace. Right? If we are people of grace, if we are people who have been given so much grace in Christ, one of the other amazing things that God has given to give his people even more grace is, is these individual gifts, these individual graces to be able to give to others. And he says, having gifts, having these little graces that differ according to the grace that's been given to all of us, let us use them. Let us use it. That means you, if you're a follower of Christ, have been given gifts. You know, I don't know, what are they? I don't, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But you've been given gifts. And the exhortation here is use them. Don't, don't let it sit dormantly. Don't let it be unhelpful to the rest of the body. Be part of it. There is work to do. I'm always encouraged when people uh, come to church, and, and, or they're fairly new, and they come and they say, you know what, I just, I love Sundays. 
Because I love Sundays. I know talking to Matthew, he loves Sundays. Part of the reason, uh, you know, he's always leading is because we can't get him to not lead because he just loves it so much, right? We love Sundays. We love being together. It's incredible after a week where you're, you're in a world where very many people do not value the things you value to be able to come to a place where the scripture can be held up and Jesus can be exalted. And, and, and people will come and they'll say, oh, this just so refreshes me. This recharges my batteries. And I love that. But listen, What this passage is saying is that you can never come to church just to have your batteries recharged. Praise God that he recharges our batteries here. But it can never be just for that. Because you have also been called to use your gifts to recharge other people's batteries, to to give strength and encouragement to them. This is why the, the church, when it's functioning healthy, uh, shouldn't be like the swim meets that I go to for my kids, okay? Let me, let me flesh this out for you. I, my kids uh, started swim uh, team this summer, and it was a very hot experience. Um, and they did great, and the kids really worked hard, and, and we went to a few of their different meets. And um, at, at the last meet, it was the championship meet, there were over 600 swimmers in this meet at McClintock High School. I don't know how they fit all those people and the pool deck and everything else. And, and before the race starts, and then again halfway through, they're over the intercom and they're going, would somebody please, pretty please, really seriously, we really need volunteers. Would someone volunteer to be a timer, right? Because you have to have people that stand in the pool and keep track of how fast the kids go. We need timers, please. Can we have them? If we don't have timers, the meat's not going to be able to happen. Really, there's a thousand of you out there. Will you please volunteer to be a timer, right? I know that's what they're thinking, but that's not how it comes out, right? And they're just begging, and they're pleading, and it's like, oh, and if you have more than one adult with you, could you please consider maybe to volunteer? And it's just this pleading, pleading thing. And sadly, the church is like that a lot too. Right? This is the time of year where you just saw the, the screen where we're going to get up here and beg you to be involved with kids' ministry. Why do we have to do that? Now, you might go, well, you need better leadership to be able to personally recruit people. And Yeah, you're right. We do. We need, we need to do a better job of kind of finger in the chest, hey, you should do this. But, but should we have to go through that? Right? All the gifts that we're going to look at here in just a minute are gifts that you could use in kids' ministry. Gifts of teaching, gifts of exhortation, gifts of generosity and acts of mercy and all these different things. You could use those. And it's not just kids' ministry, but it's any ministry in the church. And it's not just ministry in the church. It's ministry outside the church. And it's ministry that you're called to do in your job and in your neighborhood and at your workplace. Should people really have to get up and, 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 and beg you to make a difference? No. And I praise God. I know this sounds like a little bit of a rebuke, and it kind of is a little bit. But, but I, as I look around, I mean, I, I see dozens of blue kids' shirts, right? And I, and I see dozens of you that serve in a lot of ways besides kids. And I know what you're doing in your job. And I know what you're doing in your neighborhood. And I rejoice that you are obeying this command. Use your gifts. But too many Christians are spiritually constipated. And I know that's an ugly kind of, I don't That's what it is. You got all this input coming to you, all this blessing coming to you, and it never has an outlet. It never has a release, right? This is why if you, if you go to Israel and you look at the Sea of Galilee, which is teeming with life, and you look at the Dead Sea, you know why there's a difference? 
because the Dead Sea only receives water. It's so low of elevation that nothing flows out of it, and so everything just pools into it and becomes this cesspool of mineral death. And that's a picture of so many Christians. Yes, receive. Yes, be encouraged. Yes, be built up. But then, as he says here, use your gifts. Some of you are going to go, okay, well, okay, I want to do that. I, I don't want to be spiritually constipated. What are my gifts? What are, give me some spiritual x here. What do I do? All right, so what are my gifts? Well, it's interesting because Paul lists uh, seven different gifts here in this particular passage. In 1 Corinthians 12, he lists a number of other passages. In Ephesians 4 and in 1 Peter 4, it talks about a number of different gifts. And so one of the things that that tells us uh, is that uh, there's not just a specific set of gifts that are only being used by people. And here's what I mean. If, If that were the case, every passage would say, here are the gifts. There are seven of them and only seven. But each passage says, well, there's this, and there's this, and there's this, and there's a little bit of overlap. And what this seems to indicate is that anything that God would use to bless his entire body and to give glory to him is part of your gift mix. It's part of your set. So I always picture it. Any of you old enough to remember uh, Bob Ross paintings on PBS, right? Remember Bob Ross? Right, the guy with the big fro, and he, you know, he would paint happy trees, and right, and he'd have his little, he'd have his little palette there, and he'd go, all right, we're going to get a little bit of green, and a little bit of yellow, and a little bit of white. We're going to paint a, a happy forest, right? And he would do that, and that's a little bit of how I picture spiritual gifts. You have a little bit of encouragement, you got a little bit of helps, you got a lot of of, of giving, you got a lot, whatever it is, and it sort of makes up sort of who you are. So, so let's just look j- just briefly at what the gifts are that are listed here. And again, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's worth uh, looking at. He says, verse 6, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It's interesting that if you break these down, what you essentially see is that these seven gifts essentially fall in either a speaking category, prophecy, teaching, exhortation, or a serving category, service, contributing, giving, uh, leadership, acts of mercy. There's, There's speaking gifts, and they're service gifts. Now, specifically, uh, all of these gifts, except for one, are fairly straightforward. The one that requires a little bit more attention is typically in verse uh, 6, the gift of prophecy. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of debate about the gift of prophecy. And uh, I really wrestled as I prepared this, because I know a lot of people have questions about that gift. But really, the gift of prophecy isn't Paul's main point here. His, Paul is, his point is, think soberly and use your gifts. And so we could go into a lot of discussion about prophecy. I'll just tell you, where I land on what prophecy is, is I think prophecy is uh, speaking uh, words that God brings to, to mind for the purpose of encouraging one another. I think that's what prophecy is. Now, there's other discussions and debates about what that is. Uh, one thing I'll tell you is I wrote and published on the Redemption website this morning, on our blog, um, just more discussion about prophecy and different views for that. If you go to redemptionaz.com, you can read that article. Uh, you can see that there are well-respected people who take different perspectives on what prophecy is. Uh, but he says here, if prophecy in proportion to our faith or in proportion to the faith, 
So he's saying, if you're going to speak words that you think God's bringing to your heart, make sure they are in proportion. They line up with the faith. They line up with the scripture, right? This is not to to say additional things that you think people need to hear that isn't in line with with the Bible. So that's prophecy. And again, you can uh, go on to our website and look more if you want to dig into that particular thing. Then he says, if service... In our serving, that's just uh, being a, a, a minister. That, that word uh, really is, is like the word for uh, uh, someone who waits tables, someone who just is serving. They're just trying to help people out. Uh, teaching is communicating uh, the truth of Scripture. Exhorting is kind of urging and charging and motivating people. Uh, contributing is giving. And I just, this is one of the things that I just, I know a few people that have the gift of giving, and it's just amazing how God keeps giving them things to keep giving. It's just like God goes, all right, you're, a, you're just this huge hose of blessing to people. I'm just going to keep funneling stuff your direction, and you keep pouring it out on people. Uh, the one who leads, that's someone who goes before, who serves by uh, leading the way, and then acts of mercy are people who have compassion, people who are caring for the needs of the hurting, right? And again, these are not the only gifts, but these are a number of the gifts that exist. And like I said, you could use all of these. You could use any of these gifts with kids' ministry. You could use any of these gifts in any of our ministries that we do here uh, as a church if your heart is to bless people, to love people, and to use those gifts. The question then becomes, okay, if those are the gifts, what are mine? How do I figure this out? And the passage actually gives us a couple clues. The first clue is self-examination, right? When Paul says, think with sober judgment, he's saying, think about it. Here's what these are. Evaluate this. What do you think? You see the list there. What do you think are the gifts that kind of make up you? Right? Another tool that I'm giving you, and it's in that article that I posted online, is a, is a link. Uh, our friends at Central Christian Church have put together a 60-question spiritual gifts tool uh, that you can go through, and it's, uh, it's not the answer, but it's, it's a helpful tool to help you uh, sort of think through what your spiritual gifts are, and you can, uh, you can take that. The other thing you can do is have experience. You can, as it says here, use them. Right? That's the best way to figure it out. Try teaching. Did people learn? You're a teacher. Did people fall asleep? Try something else. <laughs> right? Did you, you try visiting someone in the hospital? If they'd want to die by the time you leave, that's not your gift. Acts of mercy isn't the thing, right? right so, so, so just try this stuff out. Use your gifts. Get involved. Use the body. I, one of my just favorite stories about this is when I was in college, I uh, our pastor was a very gifted teacher of the Scripture, and I learned a ton under his ministry. I still uh, listen to his sermons. And um, I remember talking to him one time, trying to figure out my gifts. And I said, Mike, you know, it's just so obvious that, that you, I mean, you're gifted as a teacher. That's your spiritual gift. But what about me? And he said, whoa, 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 wait. My spiritual gift isn't teaching. I'd be good at teaching anyway. If I wasn't a pastor, I'd be a lawyer. My spiritual gift is evangelism because I hate talking to strangers, much less talking to strangers about something so personal as their eternal destiny, and yet God often opens opportunities for me to talk to strangers about how to come to faith in Christ, and many of them come to faith in Christ. That is clearly something that God is doing. It's a spiritual gift. Now, you can debate, okay, well, are we talking about natural talents or spiritual gifts? I don't think it matters. The point is, Do you know yourself? Do you know the way God has crafted you? Do you know how you are his workmanship? And are you using those things to bless others? 
I want to conclude with just five reasons why we should use our gifts. Why should you use your gifts to serve? Number one, because of love. Because of love. There's no commandment greater than to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and you love God as you love your neighbor. Right? And, and, and the Scripture says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. A lot of times when people say, I really want to grow in my faith. I really want to be a committed follower of Christ. I need to learn. Okay? I don't deny that. You do need to learn. A lot of people go sideways because they don't know the truth. But you can know and know and know and get a really, really, really big head and a really shriveled heart that doesn't love people. So, so serve because of love. That's who God's made you to be. Second reason why you should use your gifts to serve is because you are not special. Right? Isn't that what this says? Don't think of yourself more highly than you should, but think of yourself with sober judgment. It took just as much to save you as anyone else. You're not special. Grab a broom. Right? Get, it, get in there. You, you, no one's above this. All of us are called to do this. All right? Serve because you're not special. Three, serve because you are special. You've been crafted and gifted by God to do things and put in situations that no one else is put in in our church. And you have an opportunity in those places and in those ways to be used by God. So use those gifts. Number four, because we need you. We're a body. Do you know what you call cells in a body that receive and receive and receive and never give? called cancer. Many of us are, we know that firsthand, the pain of that. A body with cancer is not a healthy body. And we, we need you. We need every person in this room to be using his or her gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. We can't afford a, a body that's filled with cancer. We want to be healthy. We want to be vibrant. We want to be strong. Then the last reason why you should use your gifts is because it is who you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, your identity has changed. You no longer live for yourself, but you live for God and you live for others. You are now a servant. Who you are in Christ is a servant, right? Apart from Christ, you're a consumer. Meet my needs. Fill up what I want. In Christ, you are a servant. Mark 10.45 is Jesus describing the essence of this reality. He says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Is there anyone higher than Jesus? Is there anyone more important than Jesus? Is there anyone more powerful than Jesus? Is there anyone more deserving that everyone else should just bow down and worship him than Jesus? No. No. And yet even the Son of Man came to serve. And if that Son of Man is now living in us by His Spirit, then that's who we are. We are servants. To not use your gifts to serve is to not be consistent with who God's made you to be. Now think about this just for just a moment. Can you imagine a community of people that thought like this? That thought... <laughs> not that important, really. I, I'll do whatever because I'm not special. But you know what? I do have some things that I think could really help. And, 
and I'm going to do those humbly and boldly, and I'm going to, I'm going to see a need, and I'm going to meet it. I'm not going to wait for someone else. Can you imagine what a community would be like like that? Can you imagine the life? Can you imagine the health? Can you imagine how people on the outside would look at that and go, I've never seen something like this. What did Jesus say? He said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love. The mindset of love. Think soberly. The mandate of love. Use your gifts. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for how you have gifted us and how you've given us your spirit and how you have uniquely given us these graces of grace. Help us to identify them. Help us to use and encourage one another to to get input for who we are and to have a better sense of who you've made us to be. And God, help us to faithfully use the gifts you've entrusted to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Now we get to respond. I love this response time, especially in light of this message, because it's do these things for the church and for others. Love, love, love. But before you do, let's just stop and take one last reminder that it's because of Jesus. So that's what this response is.